Shut up and sit down. Dante Ellis, buzzer beater. Dante Cunningham, he's back in the league. How are we going to fix Charlotte, Mike? The Limited Upside Podcast, Episode 4. Uh, we took off a week. Yeah, a week in between Thanksgiving break happened. I'm Ben. I'm here with Mike. I'm glad to be back. I missed talking basketball with you last week. We had family obligations, yes. did, being real people. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. I had a great time. I was back in Philadelphia, able to watch um, a little bit of Sixers basketball, Sixers Nets, uh-huh. which was a close win, which should have hit that in the beginning of this. Sixers win. Sixers Congratulations. win. Victory. Victory is they, ours. They can now become irrelevant instead of just a joke that we all pay attention well, no, to. No, it's just, it's just skip from one, one record to another. So it went, from, it went from like the worst season start, and now we can, uh, the Sixers can go for the worst overall record. Currently, I think they're like projected for five and a half wins, which would put them four wins under the, uh, the nine. Uh, yes. the nine and we have a great Sixers question that we're going to get to yeah. later in the yeah. show. Uh, yeah. did so we, you, uh, what did you do on Thanksgiving night? There was no basketball. And there was no basketball. I watched the Eagles. Um, the Eagles game was great. The Eagles-Cowboys. That was is football. That football? It was I don't just, know yeah, what that is. The Eagles are the Philadelphia football team. The Cowboys are the uh, Dallas football mm-hmm. team. Um, so I watched some football. It was a good time to be around home. It was nice. It's always good to go back to Philadelphia. It's a weird vibe there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a one. It's a four-sport city, but they have one viable franchise right now. So everyone's just all in on the Eagles, um, which is pretty much just how it yeah. usually is. You know what I did? Mm. I uh, played Uno. Oh yeah, because I am not a football fan. Do you have any I, Uno skills? That's a skill. We had we had probably sport. the longest Uno game. <laughs> Ever it actually lasted two hours. Oh, like, yeah. I'm not exaggerating. You know what? What happened was like I guess it didn't shuffle right, so somebody got all the way down to like having one card, and you know how you have to draw until you you know keep going. He needed I think a green or a whatever one of the colors, and he started drawing, kept drawing, kept drawing. Mm-hmm. Twenty twenty five cards pass. He finally gets the card he needs. So that prolongs the game. That puts more cards in sure. circulation, sure. and because. You know, everybody else had all the cards he needed. Then when the cards that he had came up, you know, everybody else had to draw a bunch of times. This is this poor is, shuffling. This is, Finally, someone won by playing a wild card at the end. Now, what is your policy on playing wild cards uh, at the end? I haven't played Uno in way too long, but we usually do. You cannot win. I agree with a wild card. I agree. Yeah. I think that's I think that's BS to win on a wild card. For my cousins listening, <laughs> don't do that anymore. That is crap. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad we got that on the pod and out of the way. Because if there's one thing that I hate, and I know you hate, Mike, it's ending on a wild card. What's, what's the NBA equivalent to ending on a wild card? It's like if someone gets fouled and it shouldn't be a foul and they get some free throws to win the game. Yeah. Ah, that's a good segue to yeah. one team we want to talk no. about a lot today. Who is the, that? Uh, Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets. Now, the Rockets and Grizzlies played last night, two of the hottest teams in the NBA, both with really different last couple weeks. The Rockets have been going through some pretty severe injury problems. They're starting power forward and Terrence Jones. They're starting center and Dwight Howard. Both with, you know, rather, uh, not questionable, but things you want to keep an eye on throughout the rest of the year. Uh, lower body injuries, knee injuries. Um, Grizzlies just playing really good basketball. Healthy right now. Uh, this is the healthy roster they were able to kind of project with the end of last season that went on a run, went into the playoffs. So, you watched the Rockets-Grizzlies game last night. Rockets won, undermanned, and they won. What are your takeaways 
not only did they win, they blew them out. I was uh, really disappointed because we had been planning a big Grizzlies day to kind of celebrate them being in first. You know, all their fans complained about a lack of media coverage. Uh, forgetting that we at SB Nation could not be bigger fans of the Grizzlies. Spencer, Tom, and I love the way they're built uh, and love the spirit they embody and love Zach Randolph and love Tony Allen and love that there's a team that we can kind of pull that's kind of counterculture like this. So we had this big Grizzlies day planned, and, you know, the Rockets kind of didn't give us the signature Grizzlies win that we were looking for to lead in. When you say counterculture, though, you mean, like, the NBA has gone to three-pointers, court spacing. Not that the Grizzlies don't do that. But in fact, they do it more. Now. They do it more, but they're, they're an inside-to-out as opposed to outside-to-in. Yeah, and it's not only who they, well, how they play, it's who they employ. The you know, guys like yeah. Zach Randolph cast aside by many, many mm-hmm. teams. Tony Allen cast aside by many teams. You know, the league has a lot of personality, but a big part of that is because of Memphis and, you know, small market, not a big glamorous place. They're not afraid to kind of be physical and tough in a league that's kind of going away from that. So we love the Grizzlies, but so unfortunately the Rockets were too good to give us, you know, the the signature win that we were hoping for. And that was a blowout. They blew them out early. Yeah, I mean, the final score is very deceiving. That was a 30-point game in the third quarter. Yep, yep. And and part of what the Rockets got last night was each night during this injury stretch, it's been a different contributor. Last night was Monte Yunus, Mm -hmm. real big game. And not a game where you would expect him to put up big stats, given that most of his responsibility was, you know, on the defensive end. Having to stop, like we just talked about, the uh, the front court of the Grizzlies. But Monte Yunus came out and played great. I think he had like 20 in the first half. Yeah, and he um, was uh, drop-stepping Marcus Saul in the post. I mean, he looked like incredibly confident player. But that's a symptom. When you have injuries, one of the offshoots, the positive effect is minutes for people who don't usually get it. They start playing better. They get more confidence. And now all of a sudden, when you have your complete team, now you're a deeper team. Yeah, absolutely. And Monte Yunus is a guy that hasn't had a ton of opportunities in the past. I think he was hoping to have more. He wasn't good enough defensively. Mm-hmm. They had other options. He was too inconsistent with his effort. But now, not only is he scoring, but yeah, he's playing defense. And, you know, Houston does not have a traditional four. I mean, Terrence Jones was kind of a 3-4 that yep. outran guys. You know, if Montiunas plays well, he can hit the three he can go now, post up smaller guys on the block, and his defense is better. I mean, that is a scary thought. Mm-hmm. You know, there are very few guys in the league that are stretch fours that can play inside. And if Monty Yunus is keeping this up, I mean, he's one of them. And that is, you know, it's it's only a couple games, you know. But this wasn't the first game he played well in. I mean, he's had a couple really good games for them. Oh, yeah. He was very good against Milwaukee over the weekend. Yep. A tough back-to-back that they won. Yep, you and know, Milwaukee's he, played some tough games lately. We'll get into them in a second. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. And the the value here is two things. Mikel is learning how to coach with a diverse roster that, that's been changing due to who he's plugging and playing. They still don't really have much from the point guard position aside from a little facilitation and some defense. I mean, Jason Terry was done two years ago, and yep. suddenly now he's good again. Yeah, role is everything for him. Role, confidence, and also accountability. When he's not accountable for too much on a game-in and game-out basis at this point in his career, he's a good player. Yeah, because and you know what's yeah. crazy is they don't have Beverly, who you didn't mention, right. and they don't have Isaiah Cannon right now, that's also injured. So that's the point guard position. I mean, we're yeah. talking about a team. I didn't mention them. You're right, in the injuries... You could argue that three starters, four minutes, uh, productive minute-playing guys are out, and that they still keep winning. And they're winning against the teams who are with them at the top of the Western Conference. Yeah. Uh, one of the other teams, 
at the top of the Western Conference right now as their in-state rival, uh, for Houston that is, Dallas. Last night, Dallas won against Milwaukee, who we were just talking about, on a buzzer beater by Monte Ellis. And it's, it's a spectacular play. If you, if you watch it, first off, it's a swish. He nails the shot. Uh, secondly, he takes uh, two different sets of two steps for a total of four. It's a, it's a gather yourself with two steps, spin move with two steps, going from your right to left as a right-handed shooter, floater, three-point, game-winning shot. So it, so much going on there. Check it out if you haven't seen it yet. But it's another buzzer beater, and this is a guy who now has a nice little cachet of game-winning shots to his name. And he's become a really good player. Part of it could be the Carlisle effect. Part of it could be the teammates having Dirk, having a guy like Tyson Chandler in your locker room with a ton of veteran guards to give you the proper leadership. Where in the past, he was partnered up in a backcourt uh, with one of the worst influences you can have next to you, uh, in Mr. Jennings in, in, uh, in Milwaukee. So last night was a little bit of revenge for Monte Ellis. He was able to get a win against his old team, show him that he is a superstar. Mm, he might not be a superstar. He's not a superstar. He's a fringe all-star. He's, uh, he's, an all-star. Not, he's not an all-star. He's a fringe all-star. He's not a fringe all-star either. He, he really, so if I were to say, to you, if I were to, say to you, uh, Monte Ellis, uh, sure, okay, but if, if you're going to replace Monte Ellis with another like player, if I were to say Dur- Darren Williams, is Darren Williams better than Monte Ellis? No. I mean, Darren Williams is not an all-star either. No, but he's not an all-star either, and he's in the worst conference. In the wor- the lesser conference. The worst conference. The worst conference. The There's only two. Worse with an E. Oh, the okay. worst. The worst conference. Uh, the worst conference. So, so okay. We'll get. Is, uh, would you take Monte over John Wall? John Wall is no. That? No, I would take so John there Wall. There you go. Uh, of course you. Yeah, would. but but Monte Ellis is a guy who is playing a hybrid point guard role. He's not a point guard. He's a two definitively. He's a scorer. He's more Iverson than he is Isaiah. Um, and we and the other thing about uh, Monte Ellis is that he is playing in a completely new system. And as we've seen this year, systems affect teams, affect players. Uh, Detroit's still sleepwalking through the season with their new coach. It took Denver eight, or eight games, or sorry, all last season and the first eight games of this year. Um, and there's just a couple new coach experiences. New players go to new teams all the time. Lance Stevenson was doing really well last year in his fit in Indiana, and he has no idea what he's doing right now in Charlotte. We'll get to them in a little bit, maybe how we fix Charlotte, if there is one, uh, mm. aside from being in the Eastern Conference. But Monte's come in and adapted a much different at- uh, environment, much different atmosphere, team, roles, and responsibilities, and done it swimmingly. So I give him a lot of credit, and it was a nice game-winning shot. I, now, f- let's talk about the game-winning shot a little sure. bit. I usually hate <laughs> when pl- pe- there's a cool highlight, and everyone's like, travel, offensive foul. Yeah. Out of bounds. I got that once. Jabari Parker had a slam dunk over the weekend. A nice lefty slam on the Cavs. Yeah, that was nice. Someone, was nice. someone was like, out of bounds. I was like, no, I hate that. Come on, man. You're I not, guess. not even a Cavs fan either. Yeah. Just like some random guy. Out of bounds. Montel's traveled. Oh, he yeah. traveled. It's okay. Of course he traveled. It was he traveled. Um, as far as him as a player, I would contend that he is not any better than he once was. We just accept him for who he is now. We are kind of. We've kind of reached the point. He's like the friend you have that, you know, Keep going, has man. different quirks. You know, there's always something that you wonder, man, if you really just stopped, you know, doing this. Yeah. If you really just stopped going for this kind of girl or guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know. He's like a, he's like a guy a, who's like a who's like a six, but he says, I'm only going to date tens. And he ends up just single his whole yeah, life. Yeah, or even if it's, it, it may not necessarily have to be, you know, in terms of attractive <laughs> level. It's just kind of like. 
you always find the girl or guy that has a lot yeah, of drama. Sure, sure, sure. Right, Just or trouble. he always feels like he's he get he comes on too strong to the girl or guy yeah. every single time. I know what you mean. And we could give dating tips too. Right. Yeah. This actually this this podcast it doubles down. It's yeah. an NBA and dating podcast. We give really good advice. Okay. I hope if anyone can hear it, we've got you know coworkers walking around the outside of where we are, so we apologize for that. But we're doing anyway, yeah. so he's the guy that. You are really upset about his or her tendencies at, Mm -hmm. like, 24. But at a certain point, like, at age, like, 28, you just kind of throw your parents up in the air and say, you know what, he's not going to change. Instead of looking at his his or her ability to come on too strong, we're going to kind of admire the fact that he's very caring about who he's dating. So this goes back to dating again? Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I do, I do, I do, I I get what you mean, I get what you mean. And I don't think Montellus has changed. I think we have changed. Well, yeah, we, we, we said it earlier, right? When you learn to appreciate what someone does well instead of finding what they don't do well. And we were looking at an appreciation. This is like we were the Marc Gasol appreciation podcast before. Mm-hmm. Now we'll give Montellus a little love. We appreciate who he's become. And I'm okay with, well, not who he's become, who he's always been. And now mm-hmm. we are the ones who have molded yeah. around now, him. Now, it, it is worth saying he took like 35 shots to get 38 points. Yeah, whatever. Like, it's the NBA. The only way you get over 40 points now is to take like 35 shots. Really? Find me an yeah. efficient 40. James Harden. James Harden did have an efficient... Okay, so he's like... Jeff Teague the other night had like 22 on like 9 shots. Was that the Celtics game though? No, it was against Miami. Oh, the Miami game, yeah, yeah. So well, anyway, yeah. Point, but anyway, the point is, you know, Monte is mm-hmm. cool, he's great. Yeah, it's, yeah. I just think that there's more of an appreciation. It also helps that he's on a better team. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, but, being in a winning atmosphere is always yeah. good for your, for your outlook I and think how much just you put a, in. You just look at him as a character, you know, mm-hmm. and he plays a certain character for them. Mm-hmm. He, he's helped by Dirk, but he also, you know... I also think that there's starting to become a pivot a little bit towards back towards players who are able to kind of create offense mm-hmm. as people realize that, you know, it's not you have 24 seconds on a shot clock and you it's not like you can go down the aisle and pick out the shot you want sure. every time. You know, you you have to deal with defenses and you have to deal with timing issues and everything. You know, sometimes the first the shot that Monte takes is the one you want. There's a balance right. to it. Um, I actually haven't watched Dallas a lot recently because, again, I've been watching a lot of Memphis and Houston. Um, but you yeah, know, Dallas is 15-5. and five. One of the best offenses in the league? No, scoring. the best offense They're in the They're currently league. the most of, is it for efficiency, points per yeah, possession. Yeah, they are yeah. the best offense. They're one of the best offenses we've seen in a while. Yeah, well, they're averaging like 110 points a game, and I think their, their efficiency is at the top as well in points per possession. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're hitting both of those, the team, however, who falls in the top five in both defensive Efficiency, or I should say, um, the limiting on points per possession, and as well as scoring, and the top of the offensive points per possession is Golden State. Yeah, they're great, and and they're great, right? So we we talked about Golden State a little bit in the first podcast. Um, we've kind of, I mean, despite how good they've been, I think we may have been underappreciating, or at least under talking about what they've done so far. But talk about a new coach coming into a an old roster and giving new results. That's not something you get all the time. You do have that happening in Milwaukee right now, but to a lesser extent with mm-hmm. Jason Kidd. But what Steve Kerr has done with Golden State is he's taken the offensive efficiency they lacked last year. He's put that back into the mix. And then defensively, he's kind of just grown on what they put as a base the last couple seasons with Mark Jackson around Bogut. When you have a great defensive center, and then the plug-and-play guys, the Draymond Greens, the Harrison Barnes, have all been giving them more than they ever expected, especially Draymond Green. He came out of college as kind of a dull Swiss Army knife, and now he's a relatively sharp one. 
And... <clears throat> you ever buy and, a and, dull Smithsonian knife? <laughs> oh, you know. If it's an old one, you throw it out. I, I guess know, you're right. He's young. So he's you know Benjamin what? buttoning his yes. Swiss Army knife. He's the Benjamin situation. button of Swiss Army yeah, small forwards. Golden State's great. Um, one thing I worry about them is if Bogut misses extended mm-hmm. time, you know, they're in trouble. I mean, if Memphis loses Gasol, we know they're in trouble. They showed last year. But yeah. it is... It, let's go back to Houston again. <laughs> they're missing no Dwight Howard. Howard. They look just fine. I I'm so impressed with the way they're defending. Yeah. I really am. Well, you know, they're second in the league in defensive efficiency. Yep. At least they were coming to last night. They might be first now because they did great against Memphis. Yep. You know, I thought that they would be better defensively. I did not think they would be this good defensively. And I think... You know, Golden State did switch coaches, but I think this year is starting to show that there's value in keeping the status quo and letting mm-hmm. them grow a little bit together. I mean, sure, sure. you have I mean, these teams. Memphis isn't the same team, basically. You know, they have a couple new ingredients. You know, we talked about Courtney Lee in the, on the site today. Uh, Houston lost a key piece, but otherwise kept most of their core guys. They didn't go and get another big piece. They got Trevor Ariza, who's fitting really well. Yep. A very good blending guy. Exactly. He's the perfect blending guy, because so he's not going to detract from your superstars. Yeah. He just adds, he exacerbates the good. Right. Um, and that's that's ultimately, I think, what's allowed for them to kind of transition to this next phase of Western Conference contender for both Golden State and Houston, to be honest with you. Both of those were fringe, absolutely like, hey, who's your wild card Western Conference team? And you might mention them for various reasons, like Golden State matches up well with the Clippers and Oklahoma City, and Houston's had a good track record against San Antonio. But your reasoning was always because they match up with who you actually think are the contenders. Whereas now, I think we'd be totally confident in saying, I'm not sure who's going to win the West. I'd like to see what Kevin Durant, who's back, Mm -hmm. and Russell Westbrook, who's back, can do with the Thunder. And we'll talk about them in a sec because we just mentioned a bunch of teams who are the top of the Western Conference. But there's one team in the Western Conference, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who need to get back into that top eight. They will. And we were talking about this. Luckily for them, enough parity has reigned at the beginning of the season that they're right there still. They'll be fine. They they're like five games back. Right, and they got to rip off some winning percentage that's totally within their means. They'll be fine. Um, yeah. yeah, so the West is wide open, as yeah, we've all talked about. I, I would say right now that... Mm-hmm. Just because I don't know how well Bogut can hold up over 82, mm-hmm. I would probably take Memphis as the best team in the West right now. It's tight. Memphis. Very tight. Memphis. I think, I mean, let's put, actually, let me amend that. Golden State is the best right now. I think I trust Memphis a little more over time. You know, the challenge that Memphis will have is that, you know, the there are still teams that can take advantage of whatever lack of spacing they still have. Mm-hmm. It's significantly better. But Houston was just plugging the lane. They sent guys off shooters. I mean, they really took advantage when Tony Allen was out there. They had to mm-hmm. Grizzlies had to play, didn't get couldn't play him as much. You know, they were really great at helping the helper. I'm a little worried about that still, even though they've done great things to get better. But they still have a great defense. I think their offensive improvement is for real. It's hard to match up with Gasol at the elbow when he now is actually shooting. And that's a big step. I think they're probably the best. Houston is very strong as well. Mm-hmm. I worry, you know, these guys that are playing, or role players are playing well over their heads now. I mean, is that something that they can keep up? They have yet to play as hard a schedule, I think, as some of the other West teams. Houston, that is. They have. They have played, okay. They, I mean, I'm saying they haven't played. Oh, you're saying they Houston's have, schedule's been softer. Yeah, I mean, so is Golden State's, to be fair. I mean, they, 
There's still a lot of time left. You know, we haven't even talked about San Antonio yet. No. So and, and they're and still a very, very big part of the picture. That, that's always what it is. We get past, like, five or six Western Conference teams, and you just, yeah, haven't talked about San Antonio. Yeah, or Portland has looked great. Portland's looked really strong. But, look, we could talk about how strong the West is for days, but all that leads us to is what was very topical. And what we have covered here at SB Nation with our writer, Tom Ziller, Prada, you know more about this than I do, but I have some strong feelings on it, which is conference, <laughs> that sounds, that's conference very, realignment. Very right? usual. Yeah, yeah I, was just, I just have strong, I had strong feelings about uh, what the, the late game, what the end of the fourth quarter with 10 seconds left, and a guy steals the ball from you when you're shaking hands. Yeah, I have strong feelings couple, about that. That happened too. a couple years ago yeah. in the NBA. But, but this is um, conference realignment. It's been a buzzword. It's been catchy for years now, or at least since the shift of power has gone to such a West Coast-heavy uh, dominance. But, I mean, it's tr- the truth is, in the 80s, it was East Coast dominant. Uh, the Bulls won six out of titles out of eight. You can go in the 90s, that is. Um, you can find different eras where the power shifts. Um, why should we? Number one, why should we have a conference realignment? Why, why should we fix the system that currently is if we know that most things are cyclical? And if we should, talk to me about the difference between what Cuban, Mark Cuban, proposed this past week and what Tom Ziller from SB Nation here has kind of put forth um, in his... Uh, he's given a doctorate or two on conference realignment, kind of his views about what may, maybe needs to be done, which teams need to move in order to make it truly fair, uh, as opposed to just making a knee-jerk reaction, screwing with any regional rivalries or any of those things. I know that, I know that Mark Cuban uh, had, what was it, a five? He wanted to move basically the Texas teams and the Pelicans to the east, uh, and then he had a couple of the Midwestern, like the Chicago Bulls, uh, Milwaukee, some of the Midwestern teams going over to the Western Conference. Yeah, so conference realignment, right? So uh, you have the argument for it is that you talked about how things are in cycles. This has been a really damn long cycle. It has. This is has. not. This has been going on ever since Jordan retired. Sure. Yeah, I, I buy that. And, and I yeah. don't, that's 1999-2000. So when Shaq and the Lakers started up. And that's 16 years. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's a long cycle. And part of the reason is because it's almost a self-fulfilling thing for a couple different reasons. If you think about it, right, you play 52 teams games against your conference and 30 out of conference. And so if you're an Eastern Conference team you're kind of fattening your record up against a lot of other Eastern Conference teams. You right. laugh, but this, is a, this no, is a real thing. I totally agree with you. No, this is a I, real thing. So they, yes. they have records that look better than the quality of their teams. Absolutely. I would say. Now, yeah, on the yeah. other hand, the West, they play so many games against each other, they have records that are probably, in some ways, even worse than the quality of their teams. You know, sure. So because saying, they're like playing Phoenix last year was in the East, that's a 55, 53-win team. Yeah, I mean, you probably pick up three or four more wins. Yeah. and. Even with that said, their records are so much better. And then the other thing is that the teams at the bottom of the West, a team like Utah or the Lakers, they may win the same amount of games as Orlando does, but they're playing against a lot harder teams, so they're doing it against a tougher schedule. Mm-hmm. And So it's a more impressive... Right, and so they wins. get... But the, the draft lottery odds don't care about that. So. Yeah. They get higher positioning, higher chances to get higher picks and replenish their team. Over time, that adds up. Sure. 
you know, and there are other factors that have to do with it. I mean, there's been a lot of bad management in the East. A lot of East yeah. teams look at the landscape and say, well, look at this. We could vault up to third with this one knee-jerk move, right. and then it's, they it's, kill their future. I mean, It's it, the opposite of what the Sixers are doing. In the East, a team sees making the playoffs. There's two ways of looking at it, right? And I'll use the Sixers as an example. They were one win away in a Game 7 in the Eastern Conference quarterfinals from being, I'm sorry, Eastern Conference semifinals from being in the Eastern Conference finals the year before they blew up their roster. Mm-hmm. They were actually tied with the Celtics in the fourth quarter of that Game 7 on the road. And they saw themselves as a middling franchise that happened to be finding themselves in a pretty promising situation, being in a one-game playoff situation to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. But when they lost that game and they were able to step away for a minute, they saw the real the reality of it, which was that the facade of winning didn't cover up the fact that their long-term projection was the middle. And the middle of the NBA is arguably the worst place in any sport to be. Yeah, but think about it this way, right? They made that decision, but... A team like Toronto, Atlanta, or Washington very very conceivably could be a conference finals this year. Sure. And if that happens, you know, one injury, then they're suddenly in the NBA finals. I mean, once you get to the conference finals, you know, I think Zach Lowe used to call it the 5% theory. Mm-hmm. Once you're there, I mean, anything can happen. I mean, one break here or there, and suddenly your fortunes are totally changed. Yeah. You ask, ask, let, let's ask this. Mm-hmm. Who had a better season last year, you think? The Wizards or the Rockets? Right, right, right. I see exactly what you mean, right? Because the, um, so the Wizards uh, PR team, promotional aspect, would tell you that this team's on the up and up. We got a chance to win the Eastern Conference. Best Wizards team we've ever had. Best Wizards team since, they, had a great since run, they were the Bullets. A great run last year. And they had a great run. And what did they do? What did they achieve? A one playoff round of Victory win. against a Bulls team that was tired, and right. then they lost to a Pacers team that was struggling. Right. Okay. So and it's that, great. I, and think also about the market, right? That's sure. That's way more than they've accomplished in so so long. Well, they were they, the one thing I'll tell you is though is that Houston does not have a hockey team, and their football team is relatively new. The Wizards, however, DC is a basketball hotbed, but DC in general is a hockey. It's a capitals above, in my opinion. I'm an outsider, but I think of it as mm. Ted Leonson, the owner, is a Caps fan, and then the Wizards. I look at it as the fan base sells out every Caps game, and then the Wizards. And it, Tell me if I'm wrong about that. Yeah, that's no, been you are right about that. Yeah, and I so, think it's obviously a well, football town. Well, yeah, um, okay, it's D.C. But uh, I don't think that really plays in. Forget all that well, no, but, I'm sa- but I'm saying, though, is it's easier to sell. It's easier to sell the hope and the promise that was projected by what turned out to be a relatively... It was a good season, but it wasn't like a, a gangbusters, break-up-the-wizards type season. Right. But with Houston, they had a super tough first-round matchup against another 50-plus win team. They lost in, on a buzzer beater. All this bad taste that could be in your mouth, so I see what you're saying. And it's they easier won 10 to project. more games. Right. And 10 but, more games in Houston, a tougher conference. Houston won 10 more games. Right. Yep. Houston won 10 more games in a tougher conference. Yep. But if you're Houston, you're looking up at the ladder and you're saying, we, we have a great team. And they do have a great team. But we also have to worry about Golden State, mm-hmm. Oklahoma City, Portland again, Memphis, San Antonio, the Clippers, all these teams. But just in the division. I mean, that, that division. Yeah, and even if divisions don't matter, really, it's still like, well, to that, get to the finals, they realistically are going to have to be well, that's three the of those teams. So let me ask you this. To get back to Cuban, Mark Cuban's realignment uh, suggestion was to move the Mavs, the Spurs, the Rockets the New Orleans Pelicans to the Eastern Conference, and the Bulls, Pacers, Pistons, and Bucks would go to the West. I don't like that. I don't I think either. it's, the more I think I it's look too at much. It, I don't like it that it's, much. It's too reactionary. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I like Tom's idea better. Basically, Tom... Talk, talk me through Tom's idea. Tom's basically decided, you know, forget conferences. Let's split six... Let's just do six regions of five. Mm-hmm. And within those six regions, there's like three and three are like your centerpiece mm-hmm. teams you play. Um, I think you play your centerpiece teams five times. Because remember, realignment has to go hand-in-hand with the schedule unless you just see 1 through 16, which is also unfair because, again, you don't play the same number of games. Right. The only way we go to a a full-on out of 16 instead of two conferences of eight making the playoffs is if the schedule's balanced. And And that's that's tough to do. Very tough. So Tom's proposal is you play the two teams in your immediate hub five times each. Okay. So that's ten games. And these are geographical hubs. Yeah, I mean, more or less. I mean, there are a couple you could argue with, but pretty much geographical. Okay. You play the other three teams in your region four times each, so that's another 12 games. We're at 22 now. Mm -hmm. You then play two teams from two other random regions, very NFL style here, um, three times each, and then you would play the remaining two teams from the remaining two regions, or the remaining two regions uh, twice each. So from the four other regions, you have two that you play three times, those, those six teams and two that you play twice, and that's your schedule. And then okay. you see one through 16. I like that. I mean, Tom's idea is a much more built-out right. idea. I mean, Mark Cuban's idea is more, uh, how do I see the Mavericks making the NBA Finals? I agree. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, and that's but, a... He just, this, you just cherry-picked, like, four of the best, four of the teams in a tough situation. Exactly, exactly. I mean, there's and, nothing right... So, I like Tom's idea better. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are challenges there. I mean, you're still playing a lot against teams nearby, so one of the three pods there is uh toronto boston new york mm-hmm. that's a big advantage for the for uh toronto net sixers right Wizards. Now. big advantage for washington yes right, right now. now yeah exactly that's a big advantage uh, and that's the hardest part with realignment though is projecting what makes sense 10 years from now you don't want to shake this up again yeah Pro- those projections are all based upon these current rosters we see which could change by the end of this year it could um, you know but th- this fixes the the, the cycling problem of the lottery that we were talking yeah. about earlier. Right, right. Right, so, you know, a team like Atlanta wins 38 last year and gets a lower pick than Phoenix. Sure. And right. Phoenix is 10 games better and probably even more games better because, again, of the conference thing we were talking about. Right. If, if they each played every conference member equally times, the Suns will have a better record. Yeah, I agree. So that's, that, that's the challenge. I think it's worth thinking about now. I think that... Regional rivalries are not as big a deal as people make them out to be in the league. I think not in basketball up, at least. I think you end up it's a familiarity thing, which is probably which is kind of similar. I mean, the fact the Wizards and the Cavs, the Heat and the Pacers, the Clippers and the Grizzlies. You know, if you don't have conferences, you might see those those teams play each mm-hmm. other less. But I think it's still but, something that can be overcome. Well, let me throw this at you. I, I think that rivalries are defined in the NBA now by when you are playing them and on what media outlet you're playing them, right? So um, you can become a rivalry game by playing on Christmas each year, by being the TNT Thursday night game twice that season. If you only play twice, but now you're on national television against each other twice. The players know. Uh, You think Golden State and the Clippers didn't know each game last year during the playoffs that they were prominently involved on television? The personalities are so much bigger in the NBA now than they used to be, and we like seeing that. So you can create rivalries Without even playing each other. Right. It's familiarity. It's familiarity, right. And that, that familiarity is now bred all year long, on and off the court, on social media, and at the free throw line, uh, the same ways it used to be, plus a million different ways in which it's bred now. Um, but, look, we... The counter-argument we, to that, though, yeah. is that if you have separate conferences, you're more likely to see a Warriors-Clippers playoff matchup than if, mm-hmm. if they're 
choosing between one of four matchups instead mm-hmm. of one of eight, you're more likely to see those teams play each other that's and true. for that familiarity to, to be kind of come up. But I think I don't think that's enough of a trade off. You know, I've I've been a, a bit of a traditionalist in this regard um, with you know the schedule, but I think some of the arguments I've seen recently kind of convinced me that it may be time to look at changing it, it's, even though it does not benefit my favorite team. Mm-hmm. My favorite yeah. team is one of the biggest beneficiaries of conference Absolutely. imbalance. The Wiz could win the Eastern Conference and not make the playoffs in the West, <laughs> which, is, which is really nice to put a bow on that. Uh, yeah. We had a couple more uh, movements, some player movement uh, in the league over the last two weeks. Uh, we talked about Westbrook and Durant are now both back for uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, today... Uh, since last, we're recording Thursday. Yeah, this for is what it's Thursday. Uh, quick shout out, Dan Rubenstein really helped us set up the uh, the technical aspect of this. We were having some microphone issues. Uh, he gave us some great words of advice. It was like uh, become uh, decent at what you do, uh, and then from decent you can become good. So appreciate that from Dan. I hope he listens to this. And thanks for setting up the microphone. Uh, but we did some player movement, right? So today, uh, a player was reinstated. Uh, reinstated, I mean, he never actually got kicked out of the league. Um, Dante Cunningham, back in last April, had some domestic assault issues. Um, did not, I don't believe, charges were ever uh, brought I think to they him. were dropped. They were dropped by his girlfriend, who uh, the alleged assault was perpetrated against. Uh, he now is back in the league. He signed today with the Pelicans, which is interesting because we talked about this offline, I think it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. They don't have any depth. They really needed like a small forward who could come in and kind of glue guy them off the bench. I think Dante Cunningham's a good player. I think he's actually almost a better fit than anyone they were going to trade for because they didn't have any assets to trade for. I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference, um, but he's, I guess, a viable NBA player. They don't have a lot of those. They really need him more on the wing and in the backcourt than the frontcourt, so mm-hmm. I don't know if it really moves the needle that much. Uh, but you're seeing that they... You know, when they have to go to the bench, they're in big trouble. And yeah. it's, it's unfortunate they just have such a shallow team. So, yeah. you know, a we'll depth. see how they... I, I, Cunningham was a guy that before the charges, I was kind of hoping the Wizards would take a look at it. They would fit in well there. But and New Orleans, you know, he's going to be behind Davis and Ashik. They play Anderson a and lot before. Yeah. I don't know. Unless they're really moving Anderson a lot to the three, I'm not sure how much he's really going to play. I, see, I think Anderson and Cunningham can coexist on the court together as well with one of the two big men. Maybe. We'll yeah. see. Uh, Monte will try something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Cunningham's an interesting player because in Villanova in college and then in Minnesota before they became the worst, the worst team in the NBA because the Sixers beat them. Uh, Cunningham's played a kind of diverse role. He's, he's never been a power forward. He's never been a small forward. But he's never been a center, but he's played all three. Center in college, the other two in the pros. Um, but just some, yeah, just some player acquisition movement that you don't usually get in the beginning of December. Yeah, okay. um, the worst conference, I'm sorry, worst division, in professional sports right now, another hot topic we've been talking about. I think the Atlantic Division is the in the NBA is the worst division in all of sports. I don't care how decent the Raptors are; the rest of the conference is so bad, is so terrible. Sorry, the rest of the division, I should say, is so terrible. With Boston, the Nets, the Knicks, and the Sixers, arguably the two worst teams in the NBA, and the Sixers and Knicks, one of the oldest, least threatening teams in the NBA in Brooklyn. And Boston, who you could give a 50-point lead to, but by the time the fourth quarter comes around, you better believe they're going to lose that game. They, they would love if the NBA switched to a 44-minute game. It's a 44-minute game. The Celtics would be in first place. That. So I, if I told you this. I said the Atlantic Division is the worst in all of sports, and you said, no way. No. Nope. Did you say it was? NFC South. NFC South in, in football, the NFL. 
Yeah, NFC South. But you're just going on records right now, man. You just. You're, you're yeah, I was gonna say that the NFC South, uh, the the Atlantic at least has a good team in it. <laughs> the NFC have, South does not. This year. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm saying that. Well, I'm last, saying this year. What are you saying? Well, uh, right now, currently, this year, and then the last year, and I, I don't know where this division goes next year, but it last much, year the Nets were good though. Yeah, the Nets were decent. I mean, the, I the Nets, Nets were. were I mean, East good. Yeah, East good is like we got to think of a good term for East good. I just like East good. He's just, it's he's good. good. We'll find something way more clever. You're a pun guy. Come on, Pratus puns. Uh, I, There's a million I, analogies I could put out there. Okay, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying what the East is. Mm-hmm. Uh, East is like a really strong military that only has water pistols or something like that. Like, <laughs> they could have a couple. What? You could have a, a million, a million strong army, right? But if they're only going to make, I'm just envisioning, <laughs> I'm just envisioning like someone, this this army, this medieval yeah. army attacking like water uh, pistols. The, the Byzantine Empire. Yeah. And they kind of get there, and they <laughs> instead of having like a battering ram, yeah. they've got like a yeah. big tub of water. Yeah. Send the how- balloons. <laughs> yeah, the balloons are next. Um, so this is part of what makes the East so bad. And look, that that was just a quick aside. I think it's the Atlantic. You think it's the NFC South? We'll see how this plays out because still no one in the NFC South is over five hundred. But someone's going to make the playoffs, just like in the Eastern Conference you know Atlantic. Funny? Someone's going to make the playoffs. Quick tangent before we get back to yeah. basketball. I remember a couple years ago when the Seahawks were terrible and the Saints sure. came in as a wild card team. And, yeah, and Seahawks beat them. beat them. The reverse is about to happen this year, isn't it? With the Seahawks in, like, New Orleans? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that could very much happen. Isn't that going to happen? Yeah, that'd be interesting, right? Wouldn't Defending Super Bowl champs, which I believe is what New Orleans was. Yeah, exactly. That year. Wow, Mike, right, back, who would have thought you know so much about other sports, back, man? Back away from the sport that I yeah, no longer yeah. follow. But part of what makes the East so bad to get back to the sport that I know you follow is a team that we need to fix, and that's the Charlotte Hornets. Yes. Now, I don't know how we fix them. I don't have any good suggestions because I actually thought they were going to be good. I thought they were going to be really good. <laughs> yeah. I'm very disappointed. Um, they were. I thought they would win the division. So tell me, tell me, if I asked you what the biggest concern is right now you have for maybe them not turning this around, what would it be? I think that Lance and Kemba do not work okay. together. They are really struggling. I think they don't have enough shooting. Marvin Williams, I think, was supposed to help that, and he is not doing it. Marvin Williams is what we call a bust. He's an an NBA bust. I I bought in after last year, and uh, that was not smart. No, 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 no. Um, I think, so they don't, they really just, their spacing is so cramped, they're just hurting each other. Part of that is Kemba's not a point guard. Well, Neither Kemba and Lance are really like what their position is. Agreed. I guess and that definitely creates some managerial uh, dilemmas. I, How do you play them together? Yeah, and I—I I mean, you know, Lance—he's kind of an over a bit of a personality. Just a bit. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly how he's fitting in, but there are reports that he's not really fitting in as well. He kind of misses Indy, you know. So Lance is the lightning rod. I think it's. I will say, I think it's unfair to pin everything on Lance, which is a very tempting thing that the team and everyone else will do. I think that they just, they don't have, they all make themselves worse because they don't have shooting. They really miss Kid Gilchrist. He's been injured, you know. Kid Gilchrist is the one guy who doesn't need the ball. Gerald Henderson is kind of trying to prove that he's like a guy that you can give the ball to, and it's not working. He's not willing to accept that his future is as a spot-up shooter. He doesn't get it. (laughs) They need Kid Gilchrist to kind of be the cutter and defender. Mm -hmm. I think they miss Gary Neal a little bit, actual shooter. Sure. He's been out. Their bench has not been complete, and they, you know, they didn't really have great rhythm in the preseason. Guys were injured then, and they're kind of in and out of the lineup. And I think that teams have, after a year of scouting, have figured out how to attack Al Jefferson a little bit better on defense. They can't hide him as easily, 
some of that is again, you know, losing McRoberts, replacing him with Williams, seeing him struggle, having to play Zeller more, not having good front court depth. Man, because they really don't have good front court. Is that it? Depth. Is that all that's wrong with them? <laughs> How do we ever project this team in the playoffs? What uh, else I think? I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna make it just because the well, East so, is so bad. So let's flip it then. They they've now flipped the script. They're playing. Uh, we're in the middle of February. They've just won. I don't know nine of eleven. They're playing much better basketball. And they're they're maybe the heart five of the or Eastern six Conference games under five hundred. Sure. And they, and and okay. What gets them there? What makes this turn? Because it, the East. Well, the East. So the East is the East being that bad. Is the they'll answer. get. So what will happen is they'll get Kate Gilchrist back. I mm-hmm. think. I think they'll eventually come to realize that like they just have to go to Al mm-hmm. and that's it. And, Ryan Lance will, and Ryan they, they have yeah. they have done that. I think they're just going to have this moment where it's like, you know what? Let's just scrap everything sort of new that we're trying to do and just really go old fashioned. Mm-hmm. I think Kid Gilchrist will add some running, and you know they'll play Gary Neal a little bit more down the stretch for shooting. Sure. I think Zeller or Williams will get better. They might make a trade. Like maybe they'll find something useful for Henderson in terms of they're not going to get anything great, but maybe they get a competent big man. Maybe they get Brandon Bass. Maybe they get you really know, moving the needle. No, but like you know what I mean. Like I someone, yeah, someone's got maybe they get JJ Hickson. I don't know, someone like that. Mm. You know, just someone that's like kind of a similar player in another sure. situation that like sure. maybe can be you know. They'll be fine. All right. All and right. then the East is just so bad. So they'll they'll pick up. You know they've had a West Coast trip, which is not a lot. Not every East team has. Mm-hmm. You know they played Golden State. They played Portland. They played a lot of great teams. Yeah. You know no, out there, right, and they'll get right. a home stand where they kind of get it together. Well, some teams are never as bad as their record indicates. Some teams aren't as good as their record indicates, um, and some teams have every stat, every advanced metric. And their actual hard record that, that tell you they suck, uh, like the Pistons. Um, oh, let's not talk about. Well, because I'm not talking about. I'm, the only, I'm only bringing the Pistons I'm up. I'm so sad because I, they're they're worse than Charlotte. Everything is going mm-hmm. wrong for Charlotte. Nothing is going right. The, the path for Detroit to get out of their muck is much harder because they have not experienced any level of success. They can't go no. back and say, well, we know that this worked last year, so right. let's go back to it. They have no frame of reference. That's for a good that. point. That's you a know, good point. So that's a big problem for they're, them. They're currently last. or It's either the Sixers or Pistons, but you can literally cut them off, put them on their own island, right? So all the like, Knicks, too. Yeah, yeah, true. The Knicks are awful. Yeah, I mean, but look. But Boston's two, really bad. But, yeah, but Boston's bad in a different way because Boston does play 44 good minutes a game. That's true. Plus, the difference is, is this. Again, Boston gave a young coach who's getting his first chance. Uh, they gave him a long leash, and I would argue that he's fulfilling kind of what they're looking for at this point. There's, there's really nothing wrong. They're with They're a fun team that yeah. has nobody who can nothing finish. wrong with Stevens. They're before. the Eastern Eastern Conference version of Utah. Sure, but when you get when you have first time coaches, or at least coaches with a new uh, team, like you have with Van Gundy and like you have with Fisher in New York and Detroit, respectively, unfair expectations when you have veteran or at least uh, high priced and what would look like a decent on paper roster. Meshing, uh, meshing with uh, unrealistic expectations, and it usually creates this, you know, uh, a super effect of people are angry because you're not playing as well. You don't have the fixes because the roster was never the way it should be or intended to win anyhow. Like the way that Detroit's roster is comprised, if in a in a vacuum everything goes really well, all their big men play well together. Jennings shoots over forty percent for the season and facilitates a little bit, and Catavius Caldwell Pope spreads the court. Then they're probably a forty-plus win team. Yeah, I. But everything's going the opposite. I just there. thought Stan would figure it out. And he yeah, so not. did I. You know, so he just I. looks. You read 
Paul Flannery was at Pistons Celtics the other night, mm-hmm. one of the worst games of the year. <laughs> and he wrote about, you know, how these two teams are just kind of in the abyss of losing. They're just mm-hmm. kind of lost in the wilderness in this tunnel, and they just yeah. keep saying the same things, keep trying the same paths. Oh, it was a good article by Ty. He did the quotes to start it yeah, off Yeah, they're with, just right? literally, yes, it's yes. like, well, I don't I, know I what to do. Today. We've tried everything. Yep. You know, they're like at the stage where you're trying to solve a puzzle where you look at this one piece like, oh, that might work. Let's try that. And then they plug yep. in and they realize that they've looked at that exact We've same thing. We've tried that before. Three times already. That's a good analogy. That's man. exactly well where they are. And, the, and then you keep dating the wrong person. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's, that's sad. I'm so that's, sad about this. Do we have any emails this week? I know there was an e- a couple of emails sent to you. We had a. Uh, was it uh, a. Yeah, we have one from uh, one of our friends uh, you know, at work, our friend Andrew. And he wants to know, and this is near and dear to your heart, <laughs> he has a very simple question. Who is going to win more games at the Wells, Wells Fargo. Fargo Center, the 76ers or Villanova? <laughs> All right, cool. So I'll answer this. Um, it's two-part. Number one, Villanova only plays five games at Wells Fargo this entire year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're currently 1-0. One one oh. All right, They have one win there. Villanova is a top-10 team in college basketball. The Sixers are the worst team in the NBA, but they do have the advantage of playing 41 home games. Mm-hmm. I think Villanova goes uh, goes at least four wins out of that five. Who are they playing at home this year? So Nova plays their like large, um, large game, large school games there, right? So right. they'll play like Syracuse. They'll play like UConn. Um, I guess I guess you. Do they play the UConn conference. this year? They're not in the same conference, right? Aren't they both in the? Or I guess you can't, UConn's in the American whatever, and so yeah. they'll play whatever Big East game they have. Oh, so Big you haven't East, looked it up. Rival. Who do they have on? No, I'm not. I, without even knowing, that's how. Have okay, not you know up. they play Syracuse. I know they play Syracuse there every year. Um, I, they play every one of their big conferences. You can look, look this up. up. I'm going to look this but up. But I'll say this. Villanova's going to go at least four wins out of five there. They usually play pretty well when they play at Wells Fargo. Let's see. Uh, I don't know, it's hard for me to say the Sixers are going to win four home games. That would place them um, you know, right around eight to ten wins this season, assuming they win about four or five home and four and five on the road. I don't think they win four or five of each of those. So as sad as it makes me Wait, Are they really only feel, playing five home games? So they can only play five games at the Wells Fargo Center. So I, I don't think I see Syracuse on the schedule. Maybe they're not. I mean, traditionally, they would play Q. Oh, yeah, there. no. I'm, Syrac- I'm, I'm Syracuse is on the schedule. Okay, so they, they, play, yeah. they played... Um, they already played one game. Oh, yeah, they beat Delaware. Mm-hmm. They actually played two games. They beat LaSalle last night. That was at Wells Fargo also? Apparently. That's a big five game. I like that. Yeah, so they played, they're played. they 2-0 now. Mm-hmm. They have Syracuse later. I mean, the Sixers might not win their and second then they have, home game. They have 10. <laughs> they have six, it looks like they have six home games. Well, it appears that Villanova is playing all of their big five games at Wells Fargo. Yeah, so that appear, would put them against like Temple, actually, Penn, LaSalle. Actually, it appears they have seven home games, unless I'm misreading this. Well, it looks like our emailer then gave us some misinformation. All right, let's take a look at this a little bit differently. Uh, well, to, to get to to get without giving too much context about who either team's playing, because I don't know. So the they, they, let's say they have, I think they have seven home games. Then. Well, I think they probably win six or seven. In which case, Villanova definitely wins more games at the Wells Fargo Center than maybe the Sixers and Flyers combined. Are the Flyers that bad? And the Flyers are been they've lost like six or seven in a row, and they were the worst shootout team you could ever imagine. Uh, over the course of the last 82 games, a little hockey for you, the Flyers have played, or 82 shootout games the Flyers have gotten into since the rule went into effect. 
they're now 27 and 55. That's okay. a full season worth of being awful in shootouts. So they're basically so the Flyers the are losers. Milwaukee Bucks. Of yeah, and the Sixers Rose. are losers. Okay, so Phillies so let's say that I think they have seven home games. Okay, Villanova. No, no, Nova's going to win six or seven. So the maybe is, five or six because you know they have tough, they, they have good teams they're playing. Yeah, but right? they're the the thing with Nova is that they're at the top in the upper upper echelon of college okay, basketball. Let's say teams. they win six. Okay. Yeah, six they went not six. six home games. Are you sure? I mean, so no, no way. let's say to get to ten wins, Philly already has one road win. Yeah. So how many? Let's say they win like three more road games. Well, the, the problem is the six. They have to win six home games to get to ten. Do you think that they're going to get? No, I don't. I don't think they get to double. So digits, you're saying though. you're yeah. basically saying that if you think the 76ers are going to break the losing streak, yeah. obviously they're not going to win six home games. Yeah, they they have to win six home games to break the streak. Yeah, they they won break last the record night or whatever because they played Minnesota. It, they could have played Duke last night and lost to Duke. Yeah, but they have like you know so what I'm saying? Like, we've been looking at this too. They have some bad. You know, they're going to be some teams like Minnesota coming in without their best guys. Yeah, but there's no other team. The the thing problem with the Sixers is that Minnesota is like in its own what set. What if they play the well. Lakers? Yeah, but like so those are what I'm saying. Like the they, Lakers, I mean they they have the, a home stand where they played Minnesota and then Detroit. Well, that's what I'm saying is that Minnesota, the Lakers, Detroit, all those teams, the only wins they're going to get this season, the way they look at it is by beating the Sixers. And the Sixers are looking at it like, eh, maybe we beat them. Maybe we lose to them. We don't care. I'm going it's to the say perception it. reality thing again. Yeah, I'm going to take the Sixers. Okay. so, so I'm going to take the Sixers for winning six home games and okay. two road games. Well, for a total of eight. So eight's, eight's where you're at? Yeah. I think I have them right around eight also, but it's probably going to be something more like five and three in terms of home to road. I think they're going to have a better yeah. chance at home. But I've watched a couple of their home games. You know, at the end of the games, like when it's close, like they're, the crowd starts to get into it a little bit. Well, there's like there's like eight thousand people there. And by right, that but time, they actually moved. like are they actually want to see them win a couple times? Of you know, when they played San Antonio, when they played Brooklyn, I mean, they were, you know, the crowd and it got close. Like there was a little bit of a buzz around the arena. Yeah, I think that they'll carry them through. It's a, a Bronx times. cheer, though. It's like a hey, they're doing it. It's, right. It's like when you watch little kids play soccer and there's ten of them in a ball and they're all right around where the ball is. Or I should say, there's ten of them in a group and they're all right around the ball and then like your kid pops out. Uh, we don't have kids. We're not, you know, we don't have okay. kids, whatever. But you know what I mean. You watch little kids play, and the ball pops out. Was like once one little, little kid runs after it. It's like, yeah. I was one, I was one little, once yeah. a little kid. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you know what I mean. And so this is just the Sixers. It's like when, the, when they but get that's into a close carry, game. That's going to happen game, all though, year, though. But I'm saying they get into a close game. The fans are like, they're doing it. They're playing in a competitive game. Right. However long that might last. They're going to do that all year, and that's going to help them. That's one of my yeah. point is. I mean, look, they can only get better. Well, actually, technically, they can only get worse no, right they, now. They can definitely get worse. <laughs> yeah, anyway, exactly. but hey, look. So um, I'm taking Philly. You're taking Nova. I'm going Nova. We're you're taking Philly. To, we're hey, looking keep, forward to seeing how this works. Keep sending emails. Prada, what can they reach you at? Mike Prada, P-R-A-D as in Dr. A, same as the Italian handbag company, just pronounced the lame way, mm-hmm. at SB Nation, that's B as in Bobby, uh, dot com. Cool. Shoot, shoot, uh, shoot Mike some emails. Always appreciate getting those. Some topics we'll get into next pod we didn't have time for today. We want to talk a little about Carmelo, the choice he made this past offseason, how it looks right now, not so good. We'll also talk a little bit more about Kobe, Carmelo, Lowry, and Connolly, do a little bit of like swapping players, matching up, and so forth, but this is going to have to wait until the next podcast. Too much happened this past two weeks, Mike. We, we don't even have enough time to talk about it. We could go on for a long time. But we'll do that next time. Uh, again, hey. Limited Upside Podcast coming at you. I'm Ben. That's Mike. Until next time.